podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two Footed Podcast. It is Wednesday, the 16th of December. It is a very wet day here in rural Ireland. How are you all? Hope you're keeping well. We're brought to you, as always, by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at LibertyShield.com and use my code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We have breaking news just before we began to record. Uh, it has broken that Slavin Bilic has been sacked as West Brom manager. West Brom obviously picked up a good result last night, a 1-1 draw away to Manchester City, but they do sit 19th in the Premier League table. News started to leak last night that they were considering firing him and that it could well happen today. And... It's gone ahead. Now, the initial reports were that Mark Hughes was being considered um, to replace him. That is the, the same Mark Hughes who, in his last four managerial jobs, had a 32% win rate at Fulham, a 23% win rate at QPR, a 35% win rate at Stoke and got them relegated, and an 18.5% win rate with Southampton and very nearly sent them down as well. So... Uh, that would have been a disaster, and if they'd appointed Mark Hughes, they would have deserved to go down. However, it does appear like cooler heads and calmer minds have prevailed, and that Sam Allardyce is set to take the job on an initial six-month contract. Big Sam coming out of semi-retirement to once again try and save a Premier League club. And, you know, he's been in this position before. You look at the last three club jobs that Big Sam has had. He took over at Sunderland in October of 2015, um, kept them up when they looked like they would go down. He took over Crystal Palace in December of 2016, kept them up when, again, they looked like they could go down. And last time out, he took over at Everton in the November. Now, they weren't going down, though he did claim credit for keeping them up and managed to get a very large payout uh, for keeping them up. And that's, again, what he will have done here. You can be guaranteed that Sam will be getting well paid and that there will be a large bonus should he keep them up. Of course, he is the only manager with a 100% winning percentage as England manager, but then he did only manage them once before getting fired for corruption. Um, this is an appointment that makes sense, though. This is an appointment that makes an awful lot of sense. Sam is very, very good in these situations. Sam is very aggressive in the transfer market as well. You can expect to see West Brom be aggressive and active in this January transfer window that's coming up. Uh, You'd imagine that the priority is going to be fixing that defence, the worst defence in the Premier League. 26 goals conceded already this season has been a major, major problem for them. You'll also expect he'll instill a bit more steel and a bit more fight into the team. You won't see things like the capitulation against Crystal Palace. It's unfortunate for Billich. He did really good work there, and he deserves a lot of credit for taking them up last season. But the failure to address the defence in the summer is his his undoing. They have a good midfield, they have a good attack, but their defence is is atrocious. And I said this all summer. They needed at least two in defence. They do not own one competent Premier League defender. Darnell Furlong, I like it right back. And I do think with some more game time, I think he can become a good Premier League, you know, attacking right back. He is 25, so he doesn't have much time to to raise his level. But I do think there's potential there. There's a couple of youngsters there as well, but the likes of Ajayi and, you know, Branislav Ivanovic at this point in his career, those guys, they're just not going to get the job done for you. Um, 
it does come off the back of a 1-1 draw at Manchester City, and we'll focus on that game before we do the, the earlier game. Um, West Brom could probably, in a way, count themselves a little bit unlucky not to win the game, given Carolyn Grant missed a really good early chance. But on the flip side, they did rely heavily on Sam Johnson to keep them in the game with three really good saves through the second half. Um, they set up in a 4-1-4-1, and, you know, I mean, O'Shea is okay, but it just doesn't have the experience or the know-how at this level. Kieran Gibbs came back into the team, and sure, if he's in the team, yeah, he's a Premier League caliber left-back. I'll, I'll, I'll give them that. But those two central defenders, just not quite up to the task yet. O'Shea might get there, Ajay he won't. and. In January, that needs to be the focus, addressing that central midfield, because our central defence, rather, that is not going to get them Premier League safety. It just isn't. Johnston, there's question marks over. He hasn't been good this season, but he was very good last night, so credit to him for that. Uh, they look good in midfield. They used the ball well. They had some little moments, and they did cause City some, th- some trouble. But... City, for the large part, dominated the game. They did create the better chances, but again, they're... The two biggest chances, other than the goal that they scored, they come late on. It's De Bruyne having started as a number 10, dropping back into that more familiar right-hand side of the midfield three role, shifting out to the right wing and playing in crosses from deep. Two incredible crosses put in. But Ilkay Gundogan... And a headed opportunity for Raheem Sterling. They're not the opportunities you really want. They're not the guys you want on the end of those crosses. Aguero, absolutely. Sterling, not so much. When you look at City's goal that they did get for Gundogan, it comes from Sterling in that inside right channel where he's been so effective over the last few years. Now, he did nominally start on the right of a 4-2-3-1 with Phil Foden on the left. And it made City very, very narrow. Zhao Canseo and Benjamin Mendy started at fullback, and they did get forward in attack, and they did offer balance. But there was a lack of thrust. There was a lack of real determination in those fullbacks to get to the byline and start getting crosses pulled back. Whereas that Sterling move, it's played into him in the channel, and it's a simple cutback for Gundy, and it's the type of goal we saw from City over and over and over again in the two years that they walked the league. It's the type of goal that we saw from them. I've said countless times, their big issues are they need better fullbacks. They need balance in midfield, which means they need to find somebody to replace David Silva. Phil Foden should be one candidate. Bernardo Silva should be another. But neither of them have played well this season. Not well enough to deserve a starting spot. It would allow De Bruyne to go back into his more favoured position on the right-hand side of that midfield three if they could do that. I don't think he really enjoys playing as a 10. I don't think he has the space that he wants. Gabby Jesus had a couple of good opportunities, a couple of decent-headed chances, but he just looks off form to me. He doesn't look like he's got any confidence at all. I believe he's yet to hit the, he's yet to hit the target in the last three or four games. He did hit the post or the crossbar last night, but he hasn't made a goalkeeper make a save in a while, and that, that's concerning. Getting Aguero back is big, and that will help, obviously, because he's one of the all-time great Premier League goal scorers. But for me, I, I look at City, and I just think they probably need to spend a lot of money between January and the summer to get back to the level that they want to be at. I'm not the biggest fan of Ederson, but they're very happy with him, so that's okay. Diaz and Laporte, I really like as a centre-back pairing. Now, the last two games, John Stone started one, and Nathan Aki started last night. Aki's a better defender than Stone's, but not nearly at the level of Laporte. Stone's is good on the ball, but defensively, just not good enough. Um, They'll probably need to upgrade, upgrade both fullback positions. Kyle Walker has definitely regressed. Uh, Mendy, unfortunately, with the injuries and 
maybe not the smartest player around, just hasn't hasn't gotten the job done for them. Joe can say it was good going forward, but doesn't care defensively, doesn't try defensively. So you'd say both fullbacks. Ideally, in midfield, they'd be able to go KDB, Rodri, and say Phil Foden as their midfield three. I mean, that should work. The issue is that when they were great, Fernandinho was that holding midfielder. Rodri's a very good player, but he, he's a very different type of player to Fernandinho. Fernandinho is that destroyer, ball winner type. Rodri's more of a shield as a number six. In that holding role, he positionally he's very, very good. And when runners come at him, he likes to lead them into blind alleys, shift them over to the fullbacks, double team them, trap them and win the ball back. Fernandinho would just tackle them and win the ball back. And if he couldn't tackle them and win the ball back, he'd tackle them and foul them. And he'd get away with 14 of them before he got a yellow card. And I don't know that Rodri will work brilliantly in that ideal midfield three, though I do do think he's a very, very good player. I think ideally a back three of of Ruben Diaz, Rodri and, and, and Laporte would be excellent, but I don't think Pep will move to a back three permanently. Um, so maybe you have to look for a different type of player that you can not start instead of him, but rotate with him. Maybe someone like Yves Basima at Brighton, someone that can come in in games where you need more of a physicality, where you need more of a ball winner, more aggression, more dynamism. And then you go with Foden and De Bruyne either side, but you know, again, up front, Sterling on the right is where he needs to be, not on the right of a 4-2-3-1, on the right of a 4-3-3. You don't have anyone to play on the left-hand side. You don't have a natural left winger. Your left-footed players, Phil Foden, centre midfielder, Bernardo Silva, right winger, ideally, but can play centre midfield, not a left winger. And Riyad Mahrez, and he wants to play off the right because he likes to cut in field. Maris could do the job, but they haven't asked him to do it, and I, I don't know how, how good or how comfortable he'd be doing it. You could probably get away with it. I think he could be effective, but long-term, it's not ideal. So you, you need that left-footed left-winger who'll hold the width, who can also become an out-and-out left-winger, move to a 4-4-2, the way you used to. Um, and then up front, I mean, Aguero, like I say, he's one of the all-time great Premier League goal scorers. His record is phenomenal. And when you put it up against pretty much anybody, his goal goal or assist per minute is staggering. Like, it, it blows Harry Kane, for example, out of the water. But he's 32. He's only played about twelve to 1,500 minutes more than Harry Kane in his Premier League career. Bear in mind, he arrived at City in 2011. So, injuries have always been a factor. He's the fourth highest goal scorer in Premier League history. He holds the record for the most hat-tricks in the Premier League. He's won the Golden Boot once. He would have won it a bunch of other times when he, he keeps getting injured. He's never won Player of the Year, which is just strange because he's incredible. But you look at, he's never played more than 34 Premier League games. And in the last six years, he's only played more than 31 once. You know, there's been seasons of 23, 25, 24. This season's only played, what, three, two? Like, it, it's... Unfortunately, those injuries have, have hampered him. But, like, 256 goals for City. Never less than 17 in a season. That was his second year in the league. 12 in the Premier League is his lowest. He's only been below 23 times. And those were injury seasons. Like 2012-13, he scores 12 goals in 30 games. The next season, 17 in 23. So he was unbelievable that year. Uh, 26 in 33, 24 in 30, 20 in 31, 21 in 25, 21 in 33, 16 in 24. That first season in the league, he scored 23 in 34. Scored 30 in all competitions. Like we're talking about an all-time great goal scorer, but physically he just doesn't hold up all that well. So you bought Gabby Jesus with the intention that he'll either be the long-term successor or he can be the rotation option. 
And and I like Gabby Jesus. I think he's a good player, but it just isn't working for him. He looks shorn of confidence. He's meant to be a great finisher. His finishing is off. You know, you look at his records, it's not bad. You know, 7-10 and 10 in his first half season in the league. 13-29. and 29. Again, that's largely coming off the bench. 7-29 and 29 is not particularly good for even for someone coming off the bench. But he did get 21 goals in all competitions in that 18-19 uh, season. 23-55 and 55 in all competitions last season. 14 in 34 in the league. So he he is a goal scorer. He does get you goals, but maybe not at the level that City need. And his all-round play is lacking. His all-round play is very, very lacking. I do think City need to look for a potential new striker. The obvious one out there is Erling Haaland. Whether they'll have the money to, to do that, well, they'll have the money. But whether they'd be willing to spend on him and the left winger they need, and that rotation option in holding midfield, and the two fullbacks that they need. You might get away with one fullback. You definitely need to buy a left back. Whatever happens, buy a left back. Canseo and, and Walker will get you through on uh, right back if you need them to. Um, you have you have good centre back options now, but you need a left back. You need that option to replace Fernandinho at the the base of the midfield. That that that, that type of option and rotate him and Rodri, and then you need that left winger. So they've got a lot to do. Pep has signed a new contract, so they are committed to him. He's committed to them. It's a lot to do, though. It is a lot to do. Uh, The earlier game last night was Wolves at home to Chelsea, and Chelsea went 1-0 up with a goal from Olivier Giroud. Uh, Wolves... Again, a little bit boring, a little bit hit and miss last night, but they did go back to their back three system. They left Adama on the bench and went with Pedence behind Fabio Silva and Raul Neto. I have to say, I, I, I was impressed with Fabio Silva last night because despite the fact he was up against a very experienced operator in Thiago Silva and a very physical player, very strong, athletic, aggressive player in Kurt Zuma, I thought he held his own. And I thought he had some good moments of link-up play. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot of promising signs there. Wolves did fight back, obviously, and, and went on to win the game 2-1. Uh, Daniel Pedent scored after a dreadful defensive clearance uh, by Thiago Silva. And then Pedro Neto, Pedro Neto wins it for them on the counter-attack late on as Chelsea are too committed upfield. And Rhys James decides to jog back rather than sprint back. Um, Chelsea haven't won a game against a team in the top 11 in the Premier League this season. Six games against teams in the top 11. Three draws, three defeats. Struggling for goals against those teams. Four goals. uh, Three against Southampton uh, and one here. I've said it before, they're flat-track bullies. When they play the poor teams in the league, they look great. Their individual talent will carry them through. But last night they were they were awful. I I didn't at any point feel like Chelsea are going to win this game. I didn't at any point feel like Chelsea are the better team here. I felt like Frank was getting outmanaged again, and that has been the case in most of their Premier League games this season. Um, Graham Potter outmanaged them on the opening day, but the individual talent in that Chelsea team got them over the line. Jurgen Klopp outmanaged them. It wasn't even a competition. For for 45 minutes, Billich made him look like a fool um, before West Brom capitulated. They they beat Palace 4-0, but, you know, again, individual talent. Um, the three-all draw with Southampton, individual talent put them ahead, and Ralph Hasenhutl turned things around, and Southampton fought back to get that draw. They parked the bus at Old Trafford, they beat Burnley. I mean, they should beat Burnley. Burnley had one point at that point. Um, they beat Sheffield United. They still have one point. They beat Newcastle. They drew with Spurs. They beat Chelsea, and that or they beat they beat Leeds rather. That was their best performance of the season. That was the one time Frank showed something this season. That was the one time Frank really showed something this season against Bielsa. 
but that's it. Last weekend against Everton, Carlo made him look like a child. He made him look like he never managed a game before, like he was some raffle winner. And, and again, last night, I thought Nuno had him all, all ends up. I thought Nuno led him into a trap. Frank wandered in like a like a blind fat kid looking for some cake. And Wolves just picked them apart. And that counterattack that they won the game from wasn't the only one they had. They could have won the game earlier on. They had some decent half chances on the counter. Wolves are much better when they play like that, when they can lead teams on to that into that trap and then hit them on the counter. I'd, I'd prefer to see them do it with Adama in the team. I think they're a little bit more a little bit more lethal when they do it that way. But for Wolves, this is a really good win. A really, really good win. And it brings them back into the top half to see the table. Admittedly, they are only 10th. And admittedly, Aston Villa have three games in hand on them. But Wolves are a team we expect to be in the top half come the end of the season. Um, They have too much talent not to be. There is times this season that I've looked at Nuno and thought maybe he's taken them about as far as he possibly can and maybe change is needed. I think he's a little bit too loyal to certain players that that hold that team back. And maybe a new manager, new perspective, less tied to certain players, maybe that could be the change that's needed there to get them to the next level where their their owners clearly want to go. They've got the talent to do it. When you look at people like Pedence and Neto and Raul Jimenez when he comes back and Adama and Ruben Neves and Den Donker, like these are very, very good players. You'll know I haven't named a single centre-back. <laughs> that, that might be the area that holds them back. But, you know, Rui Patricio is very good. They brought in Nuri in the summer. He's going to be really good. Semedo's good going forward, needs to try harder defensively. Last night, he was just an abomination defensively. Um, but the talent is there. Uh, Nuno's a very good manager, and I'm not for any one second suggesting they should replace him. But maybe that's something that they will need to consider come summer. That maybe Nuno has taken them as far as he can, and maybe there's a ceiling on what they can do with him while he's tied to certain players uh, in particular at centre-back. Because everything else is really good. Everything else is really good. If you told me that there's a team in the league with Rui Patricio in goal, Semedo and Aitnuri as wing-backs, then Donker and Neves in central midfield, Adama, Neto and Raul Jimenez up front, that that to me is is a top-six team. Like, that's... That's better than Southampton. It's better than West Ham. It's better than Everton. It's better than United. Better than Villa. It's probably close enough or on par with Leicester. But their defence lets them down. And because of their defence, the team have to play that little bit deeper and become a little bit less aggressive, a little bit more cautious. And that that harms them. That does hamper them. Um, people can point to their goals against record all they want. Their goals against record is what it is because of how deep they play and how compressed they make the game. It's not because of the individual defenders. Um, right, that is the two games. Congrats to Wolves. Congrats to West Brom on a well-earned point. Unfortunately for Slavin Bilic, not enough to save him. So... As I said, Big Sam coming in there. Hopefully, hopefully for Baggies fans, that will make a big, big difference. Um, He's definitely the type of guy that they need. He definitely is the type of guy that they need. It's pretty much been reported everywhere that it is going to be him. So, hilariously, somebody went and talked sport. Frank, the Arsenal fan. Wants Allardyce to replace Mikel Arteta as manager. Can you imagine Frank? Can you imagine Sam at Arsenal? Arsenal would never live that down. Like Liverpool have never really lived down the fact that they appointed Hodgson. That was worse than that they appointed Hodgson in a summer. Um, Arsenal fans would never be allowed to forget that they they panicked and and went to Big Sam to save them from relegation. Um, 
the banter era continues at Arsenal, unfortunately. Uh, I think their fans had had bid it farewell, but it is back and it is it is nearly as strong as ever. Um, because of the way this week is working out, because of the fact there's six games tonight, so we'll have to talk with them tomorrow. I am going to do Twitter questions today. So as always, put it out this morning uh, asking for questions. So uh, Dublin Damo asks, is the absence of crowds having any effect on results, reducing the importance of playing at home? And if not, has this factor always been overestimated? No, I, I think it is having an effect. I think it's having an effect on players because I think there's certain players that are playing better without fans. I think certain players who maybe maybe aren't the strongest mentally and maybe suffer a little bit when fans start to boo them or criticize them or if they do something wrong and they hear that collective groan, it, it throws them off their game. I think those players are playing with more freedom now. I think they're more confident to try things, more willing to take a risk. Um... I definitely do think the lack of fans is having an effect on results. I mean, you just need to look at the results. Like, look at look at City's results this season. I always thought City were a team that didn't need fans because of how they played, because of how efficient and effective they were. But, now again, they weren't particularly good last year, Man City, so it, it is just a follow-over from that. But maybe it is affecting them. It's definitely affecting a team like Liverpool who, you know, draw from the fans and, and need that kind of extra push to get them up through the gears at times. But no, I do think it's having an effect and uh, it's definitely reducing the importance of playing at home. We're seeing a lot of a lot of teams this season get really good results away from home. Like, look at United. United's away form this season's been great. Their home form's been awful. Um, Johnny Messius, JD Messius, do we think City have completely lost their mojo? Pressing seems off and they seem to lack personality and grit in the team. Has haphazard recruitment sunk their ambitions? So this is this is obviously what I was just talking about with City, um, and they they don't look anything like the same team that they did when they were winning the league title very very comfortably under Pep, and then obviously outlasting Liverpool to win it a second time. The pressing is definitely off. Part of that is you look at the players in the team, and you know who's going to press. Um, they don't have the same shape, so their pressing is a little bit different. They don't have the same platform to press from. A big part of is it a big part of it is they're playing with that double pivot of Rodri and Gundig and neither of them are particularly explosive athletes. Neither of them are dynamic players. Both of them are quite stationary. Both of them want to stay sitting in that midfield. So it's one less body ahead to press. You're not getting as much pressing from the fullbacks either. Um I think a big loss is leadership. They lost Yaya, they lost Company, they lost David Silva in three successive summers. Fernandinho has been out of the team for most of this season. And again, he'll likely leave in the summer, I think. Aguero has been out of the team with the injury. So I don't, I don't think there's leadership in this team. You look around that team and I mean, Kyle Walker's not a leader. You know, Canseo, Mendy, not leaders. I think Ruben Diaz has has natural leadership. And I think that's something that will come to the fore in time. But it's his first season in the in the team. He's not going to come in and throw his weight around. Laporte's not a leader. Um, they don't have leadership in midfield or an attack. I, I think a lack of leadership is is leading to that lack of fight, lack of grit, lack of determination. Um, the recruitment has been strange. I mean, if we look back to the summer after they won their, their second title under Pep, um, they bring Angelino back from PSV, and, and now he's out on loan. Who knows why they brought him back? Uh, they spent big money on Rodri to replace Fernandinho, but as I've said, totally different type of player. If you want... Uh, Rodri or a Fernandinho replacement. Rodri is not someone that should even be on that list. If you go for a Rodri, you are committing to changing your style of play. And you're also buying someone that's used to playing in a very specific type of role. 
at, at Atletico Madrid, where Simeone puts his midfielders in a very small box. You bring him to City under Pep, and now that box becomes an awful lot bigger, and he's been asked to do a lot more things. Um, so that one was strange. They bring in Morgan Rogers and Zach Steffen. I mean, they're you know Morgan Rogers, very promising young striker. Zach Steffen, good quality backup goalkeeper. And then they buy Joe Canseo from Juventus for around sixty million, including Danilo, and that was just a bizarre decision. I mean, you'd already spent fifty million on Kyle Walker a couple of years previously. And now you're bringing in a 60 million right back who doesn't like to defend and isn't the same type of right back. Very, very different player. Needs a lot more of the ball than Walker. It was a massive overpay regardless of what you plan to do with him. Massive, massive overpay. Jeff Canseo hasn't been consistently good since he was at Valencia. One of the reasons Juventus were eager to get rid of him is because he hadn't been consistently good there. He is a good player but you need to find a very specific role for him. You know, they sold Douglas Louise that same summer. He would have been the ideal Fernandinho replacement. I really don't understand that one. Honestly, if I was offered a choice between Douglas Louise and Rodri, as much as I like Rodri, I would take Douglas Louise right now. He has been better than Rodri for the last 18 months. He's also a little bit younger and a little bit more suited to that style of play. I think he's a little bit more versatile as well. Rodri can play holding midfield and centre-back. Douglas Luiz, for me, could play that holding midfield role. He could play like a Ginny Wijnaldum role at Liverpool. He's played full-back in the past as well. Um, he, he could do a job for you at centre-back, without question. Um, just a, a very, very strange one. Funny, they did sell Pablo Mari that same summer to Flamengo, and then Arsenal paid... I think Arsenal paid... 11 million for him. City had sold him for 1.7 million and Arsenal committed to paying 11 million six months later. Um, and then obviously Danilo leaves and then nobody's too sad to see the back of him. Uh, but Fabian Delph leaving was another one. They, that was another dressing room leader, another important voice uh, at, the, at the club and he leaves for Everton. So again, that vacuum of of leadership just continues. Um, Vincent Company obviously leaving that summer was massive. He'd been captain for years and is an all-time City great, without question, all-time Premier League great. Then you look at this past summer, um, they do that weird swap where Pablo Moreno comes in from Juve and Felix Correa goes to Juve in a deal that has, has to be purely for accounting purposes. They bring in uh, Nathan Aki for £40 million. And again, I mean, Nathan Aki's a good player, but he's a squad player. He doesn't, improve your team. Ferran Torres for 21 million. Um, again, a squad player, not anywhere close to ready to be a regular starter for City and not really an ideal fit in how City play, but a good player nonetheless. Ruben Diaz arrives for 60 million. I I'm a big fan of him. I think that's a really good deal. 62 million is high, obviously, but that is the market for, for really good centre-backs. Um, since then, they have, they've signed two young players uh, Nahuel Bustas, I think he arrives in January for the academy. And um, Filip Stefanovic, who is a, a Serbian winger who was meant to, meant to, according to the spoofer with the catchphrase, he was signed, sealed and delivered to go to United. Turns out that wasn't the case. He'll arrive at City in January. But again, you look at the outgoings. Leroy Sané leaves. Who's the replacement? There isn't one. Um, David Silva leaves. There's no replacement. Claudio Bravo leaves. And again, not a player that did very well at City, but a very important voice in the dressing room. An experienced leader out the door. Nicholas Otamendi, not particularly good, but an experienced leader. A vocal player, someone that's obviously very close with Aguero as well, so you'd wonder how that, that affects his mood. And then um, Tolson, who went to, to Fulham, I'd rather have him in my team than John Stones at this point. I'd rather have him as my fourth centre-back than John Stones. If I had Diaz, Laporta, Tolson and, and Aki, I'd be much happier than I would be with what City currently have. So I do think the recruitment has been strange. They haven't... Like, Diaz obviously improves the team, no question. But other than him, they haven't signed anybody in the last two years that I would say improves the team. Because when you look at the previous summer, I mean, as good as Rodri is, 
he doesn't really improve the team because he's replacing Fernandinho. Jao Canseo certainly doesn't improve the team. And that, to me, is where City have fallen down. The leadership that's left and not been replaced and failure to improve your team. It's actually, you could argue it's three summers in a row because the previous summer they spent £60 million on Riyad Mahrez who didn't improve their starting eleven because they had Sterling and Sané as their wide players. They had Bernardo Silva. Um, now, I know Sané got injured, but he didn't get injured until a month after Mara's arrived, so they didn't know he was going to get hurt. Um, you know, they, they sign lots and lots of young players and then loan them out to different clubs, and they spend a lot of money on that. And what the purpose of it is, you'd assume a big part of it is to, you know, make them self-sustaining, but it hasn't really worked for them. You know, there's an awful lot of players that leave. Like, Javaro Dilrosson left and went to Hertha Berlin. He's a very, very good player. They could use him right now. Pablo Mafio is a decent fullback. But letting him go was probably the right decision. Jason Denier, they sold to Leon for $5.8 million. I'd much rather have him than have John Stones. Much rather. Robbie Matondo leaves. Like a lot of these young players that they develop, they just don't have a pathway for them into the first team. And they end up with an awful lot of players that they just don't do anything with. Like they own Yan uh, Hel Herrera, currently on loan at Granada, who would immediately walk in and improve their team. Immediately. If they played De Bruyne, Rodri, and him as a midfield three, that would work. That would work really, really well. He is like an attacking defensive midfielder. Think of Vidal and Nangolin in their prime. Guys that had developed as young players as that destroyer type, but were then super effective when played in attacking midfield roles because it allowed them to be expressive on the ball, took advantage of their power and their, their athleticism and their dynamic nature, but they could also win the ball really high up the field. That's the, the, the cloth he's cut from. He's really, really good. But he's out on loan at Granada while City are stagnant in midfield. Strange decisions over the last few years. Three summers in a row failing to improve the starting eleven. That is why City are where they are. That is the reason. They've wasted a lot of money over the years. Like people like Danilo, a hundred million on Walker and Mendy wasn't particularly smart. But, yeah, failure. It's, it's the recruitment and the loss of leadership. That is that is the be-all and end-all of, of what's gone wrong at City. Um, Silwek asks, what shape do you think Chelsea need to use to get the most out of Werner, Havertz, etc.? I mean, this is interesting. Initially, I, I said the, these two kids coming over from Germany are going to have to learn new positions, new roles. They haven't played in a, a system like Frank's. Um, they've been used really badly. Both of them have been used really badly. And you do kind of look at it and think, well, the next manager is going to inherit two really good players who will be eager to you know, be used correctly. Um, right now, I think your best option is probably go 4-3-3, but play a really narrow front three. Use Havertz as the nine. Play Pulisic on the right and has, uh, and Werner on the left, but keep the two wide players really, really tight in with Havertz. I think that is probably your best bet. You need to stop having this nonsense of Timo Werner picking the ball way out in the left wing and having to try and beat everybody by himself. You need to stop the idea that Kai Havertz is a number eight. It, he just isn't. He isn't. He never has been. Um, especially not under a manager like Frank. A, a Pep, a Klopp, one of those might be able to might be able to get him to play that role, but Frank is not the guy. I think a 4-3-3. Kai is the 9, and Werner up real close to him, but just to his left. And then Pulisic on the right. You get your, all your width from your fullbacks. You've got really good fullbacks in, in Reese James 
and Ben Chilwell. But can we stop the nonsense that Reese James is better than Trent Alexander-Arnold? Because it's just not true. He's not better defensively. He's not better going forward. He's not better on the ball or off the ball. He's just a good fullback with a, a lot of promise. That's what he is. But he has an, an awful lot of defensive lapses. He looks the part physically. He's very, very impressive. But he's dreadful positionally. Doesn't track runners. Constantly out of position. He's not a good defender yet. He's very good going forward. And he will have a great career. He's not, not anywhere close to where Trent is right now. Just let's be clear about that. Trent Alexander-Arnold is the best right back in the world. When Joshua Kimmich moved into midfield, Trent became the number one right back in the world. Reese James ain't top 10. So let's just park that argument. He's just a good player for now. Um, Harry Fuller, KS. I will come back to that one, mate. That is, I like that one. Um, does Liverpool having two legs with Leipzig make it more or less likely to get Kanate? I would assume that's, yeah. I would say there's absolutely no chance that we will get... Kanate in January, I would say that will be one that gets parked for the summer. Um, Sydney Chinchilla, pick a North versus South Premier League managers, five aside teams, and who'd win? Um, right, let's have a look. Let's have a look at the Premier League. This will make real good radio while I look at this. Um, right. Clubs, 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 clubs. Okay. I'm assuming there'll be no argument when I say that Pep is the best player of the managers in the North and that Frank is the best player of the managers in the South. You definitely have to go Frank and Arteta in that Southern team. Uh, we've seen Jose do do the goalkeeper thing, so we're going to put Jose in goal. Um, Hassan Hootl as the defensive-minded player, aggressive, press high up the pitch, may just give up all ideas of defending and just launch forward in support of the attack. Um, Frank and Arteta. I mean, Scott Parker, now hang on, we'll, we'll park Ralph. Parker has to be in the team. He was, a, he was a very good player. So we'll play Parker as the defensive player, Frank and Arteta, and I'm struggling. I am struggling now. With Big Sam coming in, I might just stick Big Sam up front. We'll take West Brom as the, as the south. Uh, they are, I think, one of them. They are one of the southern. Midlands team, so we'll just go with that. Um, in the north, Steve Bruce as a player was great. I, I don't know if he'd play much now, but we'll put him in goal. Um, Carlo and Pep in midfield, Kloppo was the defender, and uh, and Oli up front. Yeah, there we go. And the north would win because Oli. I would imagine can still score goals in the Premier League because he's just a natural at it. Um, Steve Bruce will, you know, with the greatest respect, take up most of the goal. Uh, Kloppo, you know, I mean, at, at the very least, he's just going to hug you if you try and get by him. And then you get Carlo, who was a, a, a great midfielder, and Pep, who was a great midfielder. They'll control the game, keep the ball away from, from Frank, uh, who'd be the, the big danger in that Southern team. We're, we're going to go with the Northern team to win there. Um, right, next up, Adam asks, which player from each Premier League team would be most devastated to lose for the season? Oh, which player from each team would the team be most devastated to lose for the season? Obviously looking at, at Van Dijk as the one for Liverpool. So if we start at the top of the table for Spurs, it, it's got to be Harry Kane, um, goal scorer, captain creator of, of many goals, it, it would be Harry Kane. Obviously, Liverpool was Van Dijk. For, for Leicester, it's Jamie Vardy because he's their only real source of goals. Uh, for Southampton, 
while Danny Ings is the obvious one, I actually think Bednarak would be a bigger loss. They obviously were without Ings for a couple of weeks there and, and still maintained quite a high level. But Bednarak is the foundation stone of that defence. And I think if you took him out, I think they'd be in big trouble. Uh, for Chelsea, I mean, for Frank, it would be Mason Mount because that's his son. But I think the real answer is probably Eduard Mendy because that would mean Kepa comes back into the team. For City, it's Kevin De Bruyne. For West Ham, it's Declan Rice. Uh, super important in that midfield, uh, holding things together and allowing Suchek to be the one who bombs forward. For Everton, I, I would say Alan. I think he's the one that holds it all together, as good as Hamas is. Look, Luka Dina being out has hurt them greatly, and, and maybe the answer's him, but I'll go with Alan. Um, although, you mean Calvert-Lewin is hard to ignore, but Richarlison could play the nine if, if needed. Uh, for United, it's Bruno. It's Bruno by a million percent. The the rest of them just fall in line behind him. For Wolves, I think they may have. I think they may have already lost him. I think Raúl Jiménez is is enormous loss for them. But Rui Patricio probably next. But I'll go with Raúl Jiménez. Now I don't know if he's out for the season. I mean, I, I, a fractured skull. I, I don't know how long the recovery from that will be. And it didn't look good when it happened. So I'll say Raúl Jiménez. Uh, the obvious answer for Villa is Jack Grealish, but I'm going to go a different way and say uh, and say Ezri Konza, because I think the defence collapses without him. I'll accept Grealish if, if that's what people want to say, but I think Ezri Konza is so important to that backline. Uh, for Palace, it's Zaha. It's just Zaha. They're just they're a mess without him. Um, for Newcastle, Callum Wilson. They, they finally have someone that can score goals, so it has to be Callum Wilson. Uh, for Leeds, Calvin Phillips. Without question, it's Phillips. He is the glue that holds everything together. He's the most important player in attack and defence. He is just he is tremendous. Arsenal, uh, Leno at this point. Um, it wouldn't have been last season because they had Martinez, but they sold him and they brought they brought in Iceland's third-choice goalkeeper who's utterly garbage. I don't know what they were thinking. Um, obviously, you would have said Aubameyang a year ago, but the, the guy doesn't seem all that bothered anymore. He doesn't score any goals. Uh, for Brighton, Lewis Dunk. Lewis Dunk leadership. Um, dominance in the air at the back. Organises things well. I, I go Lewis Dunk. Uh, for Burnley, I mean, the weird thing with Burnley is they're sort of built so that it's all very plug and play. I, I'm going to say Dwight McNeil because I think he's the only one they'd really struggle to replace. They'd like they'd, they'd be hurt without Pope, but Bailey Peacock, Bailey Peacock Farrell is a decent goalkeeper with a lot of potential. Obviously, Tarkovsky would be a massive loss, but I mean they could fill bodies in there with the likes of Long and stuff. I'll go with Dwight McNeil because I think he's the only one they don't have a decent replacement for. For Fulham, it's Sambo Wengisa. He's the best player at the club. He is holding that ship together, and if they stay up, it will be largely because of him. For West Brom, uh, Matthias Pereira, he's the, the main source of creativity. And um, he's the best player there by a mile. And for Sheffield United, I mean, I don't I don't know that they'd be devastated about many because, you know, it might improve them. But Sanderberg is, is the best player there by a country mile. So I'll go with him. Um, so that's those. Right. Uh, da, 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 da. Alex Wilson. Who could be the next Clavan for Liverpool? So this is... Obviously, the idea of signing someone that just comes in to be a fourth-choice centre-back and, and without any real um, possibility that they become a long-term starter. Um, I would go for... I would go for Mykola Matvienko of Shakhtar Donetsk, who's on a Bosman in the summer, or a free in the summer. I don't think he passes a Bosman because he's in Ukraine, but he's had a contract in the summer... Um, really solid defender, not spectacular, but never lets you down. Reliable, can play all four defensive positions and holding midfield. Naturally left-footed, but comfortable on his right. I I would go for him because I think he'd be cheap and I think he's reliable. I think he's he's tough as nails as well. I think he'd be the type that would just be fit every game. Um, FC Molman asks: Make a five-a-side team using one player from each of the top five leagues. Oh, I like this. Um, I'm going to take Kevin De Bruyne from the Premier League and Messi from La Liga. I'm going to take Mbappe from League One. 
I'm going to take Manuel Nauer from the Bundesliga and Matthias De Ligt from Serie A. So I've got Nauer in goal. De Ligt is my defender. Uh, Messi and um, and De Bruyne throwing in the hard tackles in midfield, but creating all of the chances for killing Mbappe. Um, so yeah, I'll go with that. Uh, Cameron Vela asks, who is each team's three most important players? Uh, was having an argument with my friend about each team. He said Man is Liverpool's most important player, but I don't think he's in the top three. I do think he probably is top three now. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. This is going to be a long podcast, so I hope nobody minds too much. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Premier League table. Right. For Spurs, it is Kane, it is Son, and I would argue it is Hoiberg. For Liverpool, Van Dijk, Salah, and Alisson, I think. But with Van Dijk out, actually, no, you know what? You're right. It's not Mane. It's Van Dijk. It's, 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 it's Van Dijk, Salah, Salah, and Alisson when everybody's fit. It's Van Dijk. Oh, sorry. It's Salah, Alisson, and Fabinho. When when Van Dijk is out, I think Fabinho is the fourth most important player. I would put Mane at fifth. Um, for Leicester, Sionchu and Didi and Vardy in reverse order. For Saints, Bednarak, Ings and James Ward-Prowse. For Chelsea, Mendy, Chilwell and Mason Mount. No, it's Kante. It's 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 Mendy, Chilwell, and Canty. Chilwell largely because of the other options at left back. Um, City, De Bruyne, Sterling, and Aguero. You could argue Laporte. You could of course argue Laporte, but I'll, I'll go with those three. I think I think those three when they click are, are just incredible. Uh, West Ham, Rice, Suchek, Mikel Antonio, probably Mikel Antonio. Uh, for the Ev. Alan, Dina, Hamez. Uh, for United, Bruno, Rashford, Fred. Because I think Fred is really important to them in that midfield. I think he's really underrated. I think a lot was expected of him when he arrived because he was obviously linked with City and you know, United thought they'd done this massive coup. I think their fans thought they were getting a different type of player to what, what he is. He's not a defensive midfielder. He's not an attacking midfielder, but he is the one that kind of links the rest of it together. And I think he's a really important player. I think he's a good player. If you were walking into Manchester United as manager tomorrow, you would look at your midfield options and say, right, I've got Bruno, I've got Fred, I need one more. I need that holding option to go with those two. Um, I think I think you'd be quite happy. You know, and they've got the front three in Greenwood, Martial and Rashford. Uh, they have issues at the back, but they know they have issues at the back. Uh, for Wolves, Jimenez, Neves and Patricio. You could argue Cody because he's the captain, but I think as a player, he he's one of the ones that holds them back. Um, Villa, Conza, Luis and Grealish. Um, Palace, Zaha, Gaeta. And probably AU, because I think he's one that can bring goals. As much as I like EC and think he's a better player, AU can up their level in terms of the goals scored. For Newcastle, Wilson, Lachelles, and Dubravka, because I think he's a much better goalkeeper. As well as Carol Darlow has done this year, is a much better goalkeeper, and he'll he'll raise that, that team up a bit when he comes back. For Leeds, it is Phillips, it is Bamford, and I would suggest it is probably... Stuart Dallas, because of his versatility and his ability to play pretty much anywhere. Uh, for Arsenal, Leno, Kieran Tierney, probably Gabriel, because it is that backline that's stopping them from being a bottom three team right now. Uh, for Brighton, Dunk, Basuma, Mope. For Burnley, Pope, Tarkovsky, and McNeil. Um, for Fulham, Zambo, Anderson. And Luckman. Luckman for the, the creativity and potential goal threat. 
West Brom, Pereira, Carlin Grant, because they need goals. And um, I think Johnston, probably, because the defense is so poor that they do overwork him. Now, I've said earlier, I think they may need to upgrade on him, but he is just that important to them because of how bad they are. Uh, for West, for, for Sheffield United, then, Sander Berger, obviously. Jack O'Connell, he's such a big loss at the back for them. And Rian Brewster, because somebody needs to start scoring goals for them, and it, it needs to be him. He's the one they spent all the money on. It needs to be him. That's how important he becomes. Um, Raj Chohan, given they're all 28, who do you think will be the first to decline and last to decline out of Mane, Salah, and Son, and why? I think Son will be the last to decline, because I think he's... The no, yeah, I think Son will be the last to decline. I think he's maybe a little bit more durable, and I think his game will age a little bit better. I think Mane will be the first to decline, but I don't think any of them are likely to decline anytime soon. They're all brilliant, and I mean, I've said before, if I, if I could have one Premier League player into this Liverpool team, it would be him. It would be it would be Son. I think if you put him in instead of Firmino, I think he would take Liverpool to a new level. And I love Firmino, but I think Son is just incredible. I think he's the best player at Spurs. Um I think he's world class. I genuinely think he's world class. Uh, MTUSA08 does drawing Leipzig in the round of 16 change Liverpool's January transfer plans it probably does I think they probably would have looked at Kanate especially if they'd gone out with them staying in it was always going to be difficult but now that they've drawn them there's no chance that they'll sell them to Liverpool um, he is he's going to be so important for them so yeah I do think it might change the plans but it may not have they may have looked at Kanate or Upamecano whichever one as a summer target and then had you know an idea of signing someone in January who could either just be a a, a Clavan type backup, or maybe you bring in someone who's who can immediately sort of start with Fabinho or Matip, but doesn't have to start every game. When Van Dijk comes back, they become like the understudy to Van Dijk, and then with an eye on them in the long term, um, the long term successor. The name out there right now is Sven Botman uh, of Lille because Lille have found themselves in the proverbial financially. Um, he may well be available in January, and if he is, Liverpool need to be all over that one. Um, yeah, Paddy, uh, Paddy, one, two, three, four, five, one. He replied to Raj, and he, he thinks the same. Um, feels like Man is the most reliant on his pace. I do kind of agree with that. I do think uh, Sadio is the one who's most reliant on that. Um, I think there's one or two more questions. Just give me one quick second. Uh, Paul, the Red Rogue. Uh, I think I saw your reaction to the ESPN 100, but what is your reaction to the whole thing? I will do that next week. I promise I will get to that next week. Um, Bison X, who do you think are genuine title challengers or is it as open as BT and Sky would tell you? I think Liverpool and City. And Spurs are genuine title challengers. Even though City don't look at the minute, like look like it at the minute, I don't think anyone else outside those three have the uh, have the, the 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 chops to do it. Emmett, aka Emmett, with the Ballon d'Or best eleven team this week, is there any changes you would make? Yeah, I, I would I would have you know actual defenders and and midfielders in the team, um, not just you know shoehorning Pele and Maradona into a midfield. Um, I mean, I I don't think Cafu's the best right back that I've seen, let alone the best right back ever. I think Lillian Turan was a better right back than him, and I think Javier Zanetti was a better right back than him. Uh, how you could put that team together and not put Franco Brazi, who's the best centre back to ever play the game in the team, I don't know. Um, you know, I I get that Lev Yashin won the Ballon d'Or, but I mean, you know, Buffon, hello. You know, 20 years have been utterly incredible at the highest level. I think Buffon is the goalkeeper. Zanetti at right back, Maldini at left back, Beckenbauer and Brazy in the middle. 
Um, maybe a bit too much similarity, but they're the two best ones, I think. So you go with them uh, in midfield. They went with um, Lothar Mateus. No problem with that at all. Uh, he wouldn't make my team, but uh, you know, my my team would have Fernando Redondo or uh, Sergio Busquets in it. But I'll, I'll happily take Lothar. Um, Zidane, you know, you'd have to shoehorn him in. I, I mean, you're going to have a super attacking team anyway, so we'll go. We'll just say Zidane, Mateus, and and Messi as the, as your midfield three. No, sorry, Zidane, Mateus, and Maradona as your midfield three, and then Messi, the real Ronaldo, and the faux Ronaldo up front. He, the faux Ronaldo would not be in mine, but I'm not just not bothered getting into that that debate. He wouldn't be. I I don't think he's. He's an incredible goal scorer. He is one of the greatest goal scorers the game has ever seen, maybe the greatest. But I, I don't I don't think he's in that real conversation as the greatest player ever. Um I think when you look at his all round game, his all round performances over the years, he, he just became a goal scorer. And everything else went out the window and the team just completely bent to his will. And that was fine because he won. He won Champions Leagues. His his success is undeniable. Though he did not win the Euro, uh, Euro 2016 for um, for Portugal. Let's remember he was on the bench. He had gone off injured when they won the game. They won it without him. He had been poor in that tournament uh, as he was poor in the World Cup, as he tends to be poor in major international tournaments. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, Juan Carlos asks, what's your best case scenario for Harvey Elliott? I think he turns out as a Martin Odegaard type who's a playmaker from the right of a three behind one or, you know, in a box midfield. I think he's going to be a really, really good player. My only concern is maybe a lack of high-end pace, but I think he's got the ability to overcome any of that. Uh, Moral Twitterson, Michael asks, how many hours of footy sports do you watch per week? And do you have a trust fund that allows you to live your best life? I do not have a trust fund. I do have a presenting sponsor, and that is Liberty Shield. Check out their services at libertyshield.com. Um, as for how many hours I watch every Premier League game, I used to watch a lot more. Uh, I know that sounds weird. I used to watch probably 15 to 18 games a week. Um, largely on Y Scouts, you're only actually watching about an hour of of actual football. Uh, but since starting to do this podcast, I am watching every Premier League game. Uh, yet to miss one. Uh, tonight, obviously, I'm not going to see every game before tomorrow, but I will have seen enough to to, to kind of give a, an overview of them. But uh, I'll catch up with them then. You know, there's only two games on Thursday, so I'll watch a couple of tonight's games and probably a couple Friday. And try and keep up, but uh, yeah, that's that's basically it. I'm I'm watching about what ninety minutes by ten, nine hundred minutes, fifteen hours of football a week at the minute. Um, more this week, obviously, because of thing. Christmas is going to be interesting. I'm I'm excited to see how much I can wangle in uh, during Christmas. Uh, negotiations are ongoing. Um, Alex got that one. Yeah, that is it. That is all the questions. Oh, no, I missed one, didn't I? I said I'd come back to one. Uh, It was every... Pick a job for every Premier League manager. What's their next job? Oh, yeah, Harry. Okay. This has gone long, but I'm going to do this anyway. Um, Right, starting at the top. Mourinho. Paris Saint-Germain. Klopp, German national team. Brendan Rodgers, Arsenal. Ralph Hasenhüttl, Borussia Dortmund. Frank Lampard, West Ham. Pep, Barcelona. Moyes, Scottish national team. Carlo, Italian national team. Oli, Molde. Nuno, Inter Milan Dean Smith Crystal Palace Roy Hodgson Retirement Steve Bruce Barnsley Marcelo Bielsa Anywhere he wants really Um, 
Borussia Mönchengladbach, Mikel Arteta, Swansea, Graham Potter, England, Sean Dyche, Newcastle, Scott Parker, uh, the War Veterans Memorial Team, uh, Serious Answer, uh, I don't know. I I don't know where from where where Corporal Parker would end up. Um, it'll be a club in the south. Charlton, yeah, let's say Charlton. Um, for Slavin Bilic, it'll be somewhere in in Europe. Um, be no surprise if he rocks up in in Turkey again or in Greece, maybe. AEK Athens. Um, or Sky Sports. Um, for Sam, I think he'll just do this over and over again. And for Chris Wilder, Chris Wilder's the type of guy that needs a club that will allow him a lot of freedom. It won't be a Premier League club. It won't be a Premier League club. If Chris Wilder were to leave. Derby. Yeah, I'll go Derby. Um, right, and that's it. That is all 20. Uh, um, those are just off the top of my head. I need, I need more time to think about them. But yeah, th- those will do for today. Radio, that is it. That is the show. It is a long one. Apologies if you have gotten bored. Uh, but I did want to get to everybody's questions because you guys take the time to send them in. I feel like it's only right that I take the time to answer them. I uh, hope you've enjoyed the show. Hope you have had a pleasant week so far. Loads of football tonight. Six games for your viewing pleasure. Um, early games, Arsenal, Southampton, Leicester, Everton, and Leeds against Newcastle. Late games, Fulham, Brighton, Liverpool, Tottenham, West Ham, Crystal Palace. Those are your six games tonight. Thank you to Guy Drinkle. Thank you to Foxhorn. Thank you to you for listening. I will see you tomorrow. Goodbye. Podcast Network.